Welcome to Art Worlds with me, Dr. Cleo Roberts Comoretti. This is the podcast that tells you all about the art worlds you might have missed. We're going to journey around the globe and talk to artists, patrons and curators from Cambodia to the Democratic Republic of Congo. With this, we'll build a truly international perspective of the many thriving art worlds. India, a country teeming with people, home to part of the Himalayas, deserts, the Ganges and hundreds of languages, is an astoundingly diverse and dynamic part of the world. It's got an artistic heritage to match, with traditions of miniature art, intricate stone sculptures, Vali painting, and then a radical modernism that followed the country's independence in 1947. After economic liberalisation in the early 90s, contemporary art and its market began to boom. Today, across India, commercial galleries and foundations are the backbone of a system buoyed by private philanthropy and sheer enthusiasm for the arts. In this episode, we go to New Delhi, India's capital. At the end of a modest track, effervescing with street stands, construction work, and motorbikes swerving past rickshaws, is Coge. It's a haven. Wrapped around a central courtyard, a studios, exhibition spaces, a cafe, and rooftop, where many a night you'll find artists and curators talking through work and cooking up new projects. They've hosted the great of the great, including Rux Media Collective, curator Natasha Jinwala, Dianita Singh, Hans Ulrich Obrist, to name but a small selection. Pooja Sood began working on building this organisation in 1997. She's seen it all, from rushing around to find warm goat lungs to filling out reams and reams of visa applications. She joins me from her office to explain Koja's ethos, its growth, and the challenges she's encountered along the way. Can you tell me about the conditions of Koja's inception in 1997? The art idea of an artist-led space must have been rather baffling in the context of what was then quite a formalised conservative art world in India. Well, 1997 was nothing like what it is today. You know, the art world was really small. We had very few galleries. Uh, most of them showed painting of the modernists. Contemporary art had a very small place uh, and it was very, very hierarchical. It was painting, sculpture, maybe graphic work, no photography, no installation. Uh, the few artists who were able to travel normally went abroad on scholarships like Charles Wallace or the Inlac Scholarship. And so they, well, let's put it that way, we really felt our third world status in 1997. There was that sense that, you know, we were somewhere on the periphery of the art scene, you know, the main stuff happening in the West, so to speak. And I think it was at this point that, um, you know, the Coach workshop began, largely when Robert Loder of Triangle Arts Trust uh, came to visit India and we were the first workshop in Asia. And I think it seemed like, wow, we could have a space which was outside of institutions, either an educational institution or for that matter, a gallery, because we did not have public or, you know, like not-for-profit spaces like mm. the one we have now at Koj and many others that have sprung up. And so um, the fact that we could have this two week intense workshop with international artists on home turf 
and international being truly international. So mm. the focus being on the global south. So whereas we had artists from Britain and maybe not from America really, but Britain and maybe France because of the funding, but we also had artists from Africa, which is where Triangle had a huge presence, right? So from, uh, um, from South Africa, we had David Poloani and we had somebody from Kenya and a lot from the region. So from Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh is what we had begun to build. And I think for us, that was magical. So, and don't forget, this was way before 2001, when India became liberalized, when this whole globalization, you know, where everybody was on a plane and everybody, like the world was suddenly this very close-knit family. And so I think, yeah, the workshop came as a breath of fresh air and it was happening on home turf. And I mean, it seems terrible to say, but yeah, the artists coming from different parts of the world seemed like ambassadors because we had mm -hmm. long conversations and they showed work from their part of the world. And wow, Kenya has this kind of contemporary art and this is happening. And we really did not know what was happening across our borders. It was really difficult to find artists in um, Sri Lanka and in Bangladesh and Nepal, believe it or not. I mean, these are our neighboring countries, but because of the geopolitics of the, of the yeah. region, uh, it was difficult. I think that workshop was really those series of five annual workshops of two days made a huge difference to the art scene here because artists were able to experiment without the pressure of having to sell. Mm. And also because there was an, everybody was working side by side, uh, you know, it was the first time we had a lot of performance, we had uh, a lot of land art, you know, people were using site specificity, both social as well as geographical became very important. So it was really kind of fresh. Mm. And because we had artists from across India, young artists, so for, it was like a catalyst for different kinds of art making across India. And I think testament to your success is that Coge has been an exceptionally resilient institution. I'm thinking that throughout India's history, there have been many sort of art workshops, arts initiatives that have come, popped up and perhaps disappeared. How have you managed to sustain Coge? Uh, well, resilience is two kinds, right? One is, of course, financial, mm. uh, and uh, which is what everybody takes resilience to mean. But I would also say it's about just being relevant. You know, we're, next year will be, we'll be 25 years. Coach has been around for 25 years, which is quite a landmark. But I think it's also because we've kind of reinvented ourselves whenever we needed to. We've changed the way we think, we've changed the models of working, but we've had an ear to the ground as to what is relevant at this point and tried to work around that. Not, not adhering to fashion and mm. not being fashionable, but really trying to understand what is it um, that we need to be doing. Financially, uh, I think we were warned, and I have to really thank some of our funders who really handheld us, that mm. you know, at some point you've got to build some form of a corpus or some form of an endowment for yourself yeah. function and so we have been incredibly lucky with the support we have got from the art world itself so many artists who've been through code you know and have become very success successful they've often returned a favor by giving us an assailable artwork you know and we've done auctions we've done portfolios you know we've sold it and uh, i think one of the I think one of our greatest strengths is the art world that we exist for, and which is why we never lose focus, that we exist for the artists and for art making, you know, of a certain kind. And that when artists come, we pay them for everything, their podiums, mm. their stay, their travel, everything. And 
we tell them just don't bother. I mean, there's no thing of keep one work behind, et cetera, none of that. But when in the future we do get to them, most of them, I mean, I would say 99% come back with so much generosity, it's unbelievable. And so do the galleries because they do understand the value of us supporting artists till they become, mm. you know, of, till they can take them on and take them further as, you know, mature artists who they can sell. So I think there's a lot of give and take and we have, you know, the art scene in India is very small. So I think if you've kind of stood there with a certain integrity and constantly been at the forefront mm. of experimentation, which they know that they can, you know, can expect from you. We're not doing what we did 25 years ago. I think we'd be redundant. And so we would not be resilient. We would have pulled it up. And part of your remit and your, I say your uniqueness in a way, is that you you've touched on it earlier, you welcome people from all over the world and you bring them together in this amazing site, which is feels exceptionally hospitable. You can move around, you can chat to people. I've sat in a cafe, like people come in and out and there's so much dialogue. What does being in India, do you think, bring to these exchanges? Okay, to start off with, I think the most important thing to remember is that art, we exist to support the Indian art scene, right? We're here. Uh, but at the same time, you can't be, you can't ghettoize yourself and think that, you know, this is what the Indian artists, and so we will only work with Indian artists, which is happening across the world, by the way, now at this current stage, where everything is becoming so nationalist and inward. Mm. But I think uh, what has really been good is for us to say, okay, this is what we're looking at, but let's just see what people abroad are thinking. What is, you know, what's the global thinking around it? Let's bring in interesting artists who want to travel, and come to our home turf, work on our, with our challenges, you know, and our, and I think a lot of artists realize also how freeing it is to work in some of our, you know, in our spaces as well, because you can do anything. And I've, I've had artists ask for um, warm goat lungs for a performance. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying that I think uh, it has lent a certain, um, you know, broadness of it has broadened perspectives of artists especially because they work together live together and that's something that we since we have the possibility of you know we have a three-bedroom apartment with alongside the studios so the artists live and work together through the day through the night a lot of in, intense conversations some very difficult conversations but important ones and you know just being at Kirki and being in at coach where we are just gives them a kind of culture shock which, um, you know, for international artists where you understand that, you know, in that little microcosm, this is India. You have the rich mm -hmm. India across the road and you have the very normal, difficult, challenged India on this part. Mm -hmm. I think that informs a lot of artists, you mm -hmm. know, both positively and negatively. Not all positive, but yeah. Speaking of challenges, what throughout the long career that you've had at Coach, what has been a major challenge that stands out to you, something that's really tested you? It's always been financial because, you know, we get zero funding from the government. I mean, there's mm. no no there's no art council. That no, exactly. Yeah. So you're really on your own. So you have to be extremely entrepreneurial. And we've had to live on three-year grants, which may or may not be extended. So you're always in that level of precarity where mm. you really don't know next three years, Will we be on? Will we be off? I think having had Hivos for 10 years allowed, gave us a lot of stability. And then when we had six years of co of, uh, 
the Norwegian embassy that supported us, we were, we were able to build the building that you currently see. We bought the building next door and, and all of that was through artists, uh, sale of artist portfolios, by the way, all of it. The refurbishment wow. and the buying of the building. So that's why I say we owe a lot to the art community. You know, the artists and the curators and the galleries who really supported us in this journey. I think the other challenge for us, where we are so committed to working in the region, you know, and regionally, we've set up the whole South Asia network, the CISA program, which is a curatorial program in South Asia and Iran, uh, and has been visas and political, you know, mm. what your, the politics of the region that come interfere so strongly. There are times when there are good times. And you know, artists flow with complete ease. But now look at what's happening in Afghanistan as we speak. And we've had some fabulous fellows from across Afghanistan who've come to India. I mean, we've had 10 fellows for our art management program over the last 10 years. We've had two or three for CISA. And we don't know how to help them now at this current stage. But the, it's the politics, the geopolitics that become impossible sometimes to do what you have set up as your own mandate. Mm. And which we truly believe is important you know the structural diplomacy otherwise our next generation is is going to believe that all pakistanis are our enemies which is not true mm -hmm. we have the best friends across the region you know but this whole sense if you don't meet people if you don't see them if you don't go across you you can be fed anything so i think it's been the politics of the region the geopolitics that has really come in the way and uh, been very difficult i mean yeah. i thought there have been times for a program i've spent 80 percent of my time just getting visas yeah. Home Ministry, External Ministry of External Affairs, uh, it just carries on. Police inspections, you know, it's just very difficult. So it's not as easy as you apply online and you get the visa. Politically, you spoke about politically, like some more international relations. The local political environment is incredibly difficult at the moment. How does that make operating for you? Has it had an effect on Coach? Well, as we speak, um, you do know that we have something called the FCRA, Foreign Contribution Regulation Act. This is something, uh, if you don't have that, that number, uh, you can't receive international funding. Mm. Organizations like us don't receive international funding. We, we may have to pack up for the simple reason that there isn't money for experimental art yeah. in India. Currently, not at all, because all money on all you know, company CSR, corporate social responsibility is going rightfully towards public health care and, uh, and poverty allevi uh, alleviation, et cetera, et cetera, which is now in the aftermath of the gruesome COVID wave we've had yeah. is completely understandable. But even at the best of times, uh, philanthropy for culture has been very, very marginal. So if we don't get international money uh, with, from organizations that understand the worth of you know of um, of culture and art in society and the relevance of it for democratic society especially um i don't know how we're going to function so right now all our fcras i think about twenty thousand uh, not-for-profits have them up for renewal we don't know whether we're going to get it or not might not uh, so i don't know how we going. To... that's why i said we're constantly in this level of precarity also uh, the kind of censorship that is being imposed on what you say, how you say it, etc., yeah. is making everybody cautious. So I think it's important for us to um, to just do what we do, but sensibly and with a certain amount of wisdom. So the less said, the better. My thanks to Pooja for giving her time and so generously sharing her knowledge and wisdom.
If you enjoyed what you heard, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're so inclined, do leave a review. There is so much more we could have talked about. In the show notes, you'll find a list of articles and places where you can find out more. And join me next time when we go to Goa to meet the renowned and insightful artist Nikhil Chopra, who reveals how he began his performance practice in his student apartment dressed in Victorian regalia. This has been Art Worlds with me, Dr. Cleo Roberts-Comoretti. See you on the next journey. Music